Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Consumed Sermon Series, which talks about loving God and loving others with everything that we have. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, if you have your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, we're actually going to start just a little bit before that, and I want to just kind of catch us up to what Paul is uh, talking about here in the context, and so we're actually going to look just a few verses back into chapter number 12. Now, how many of you realize, or maybe you've heard this before, uh, that uh, the chapter divisions and the verse divisions are not uh, inspired? Uh, that was something that a different author put in there just to help out with our uh, being able to recall verses or be able to give you an idea of where in that letter we're going to. Uh, you've probably written letters before personally, and you don't usually put numbers next to them or chapter breaks as you're writing a letter to somebody. Uh, but another individual did that as they got the canon of Scripture all completed, mainly for our help. The problem was whoever this man was that put these together often broke up various thoughts uh, that we're going through. And so sometimes you have to go back and look at the chapter before or the verses before or even some of the verses prior uh, after following in a different chapter because the thought is still taking place there. And so with that in mind, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 and we're actually going to see a thought that is going through in chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. But the heart of our text will really be here in chapter number 13. So if I've thoroughly confused you by now, go ahead and say, shake that bush, so that way we can just get a run and start at it. So, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and I want you to look up with, with if look at with me verse number 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning our reading in verse number 27. I'm not going to have you stand for sake of the reading tonight, just for sake of time. We're going to just dive right on into it. I hope that's okay with you. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse number 27, the Bible says, Now ye are the body of Christ. And all God's people said... Amen. Aren't you thankful for the body of Christ that you and I have the privilege of being a member of and to be able to participate in? And just to think of the victories that were won even this morning that you and I get to celebrate as part of the body of Christ. And we're so thankful for our church and for our church family. But he goes on to say, and members in particular, verse number 28, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles and secondarily prophets and thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, he's asking these various rhetorical questions, but in verse number 31 he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. He goes into verse number one of chapter 13. Now remember, we're continuing this same thought. He's about to show us a more excellent way. He says in verse number one, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, and if you'll excuse me, I'm going to replace charity with the word love just for our reading here tonight as we understand it means the same thing here in our text. But he says, as though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. 
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, I pray your blessings now as we get into your word tonight. Help me to say only those things that need to be said. And help me, Lord, to unsay or not say the things that have no bearing and no weight tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, cleanse me of sin and of self, Lord, help me and calm my nerves. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in hearts and lives that I could never, ever even imagine or attempt to do. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. And we pray your blessings now. In that son's precious name we pray, for he is worthy. Amen. In the foothills of, foothills of South Mountain Park in Phoenix, Arizona, there sits what is called the Mystery Castle. This mystery castle was built in the 1930s by the name of, by a man by the name of Boyce Gully. Uh, Mr. Gully was actually originally from Seattle. Back in the 1930s, he was originally from Seattle. He had a, uh, was married, and in fact, he had a daughter by the name of Mary Lou. And as a five-year-old girl, Mr. Gully used to entertain his young daughter with tales of knights and of uh, dragons and of castles and of uh, rescuing the princess and things of that nature. And uh, as, he, as she was growing up, Gully received a diagnosis when she turned five of tuberculosis, which would have been a fatal disease in the 1930s. As he got this fatal disease, uh, 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 this diagnosis rather, uh, he moved to Arizona and uh, left his family here in Seattle, moved to Arizona to, to be in the drier, warmer climate. And for 15 years, he hardly had any contact with his family back here in Seattle. As for those 15 years, he was building this mystery castle. In 1945, after having been gone, as I said, for 15 years, Mary Lou, his daughter, received a letter from her father, now 20, 21 years old. And from his deathbed, he wrote to tell her that he had finally built her the castle that he had promised. You see, while he was living there, he worked at various jobs and was able to uh, scrounge up enough money to be able to buy the building materials necessary. And he uh, would go out uh, in the area around him there in the Phoenix area, and he would uh, find the various rocks and uh, even car parts and whatever else he could find. He would make several trips even across the border uh, to find various decorations and different things there for the castle. And for uh, these 15 long years, he built the mystery castle. When uh, he died, 
died and Mary Lou received this letter, her and her mother immediately moved or relocated from Seattle to Arizona. And there they discovered this residence, this amazing architectural curiosity that was uh, built by him, which had 18 rooms, secret compartments that were stuffed with coins, jewelry, and even gold nuggets. And his daughter, Mary Lou, in fact, lived in this castle until her death just a few years ago in 2010. And this castle still stands. And you can take guided tours if you're ever down in the Phoenix, Arizona area of this mystery castle. Why do I bring this up tonight? Well, this mystery castle is a lasting legacy of a gift of one father's love to his child. He built this because of love, and for these many years, it has stood the test of time as a lasting legacy of his love to his daughter. Well, as we jump in tonight, I want you to see that love really is the key to anything that you and I could ever do that is of any lasting worth. It was love that drove Mr. Gully to build this castle for his daughter, and it will be love that motivates you and I to do anything that will outlast even our life here on this earth. You understand the context that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, but if you don't, let me kind of catch you up just real quickly. When you and I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit in, in gifts us or he grants us spiritual gifts that we might be able to use in the ministry and in the service of the Lord. Now, some of you might be sitting there going, man, I got saved, but I don't remember getting any more gifts or talents. Sometimes those gifts and those talents are already within you. And now the Lord's going to highlight those to be used in his service. Maybe some of you were able to play the piano before you got saved. And now you're able to use that gift and that ability in the work of the Lord, or maybe you were able to sing prior to your salvation, or maybe you were a very, very friendly person, or maybe you were a person that liked to be behind the scenes. And in biblical talk, we would say that you're a person that is a gifted in the ministry of helps, or maybe you're very smart in organizing and you'd have the gift of administration. Sometimes those gifts are already there. You're already using them, but the Holy Spirit highlights them in your life and puts you into the body of Christ to use those gifts and those abilities to edify and to encourage one another with the gifts and the abilities that the Holy Spirit has given you. Well, all of that, and we could all say amen, and that's a whole sermon series in and of itself. But here the Apostle Paul is writing the book of 1 Corinthians, and he is talking about several various problems within the history of the Corinthian church. And time does not allow us to get into the various problems, but there was problems of incest going on within the church of Corinth. There was uh, problems where uh, fellow believers were taking one another to court before unjust uh, uh, Gentile people to have their disputes settled. And there was a lot of problems within the church of Corinth. And one of the problems that was showing its ugly head that Paul has to address here in chapter 12, 13, and 14 was this idea of spiritual gifts. Why? Because they were pointing out my gifts are better than your gifts, and I want your gift because I want to be seen of men. I want to be the guy that stands on the platform. I want to be the lady that's always singing the specials. And so they were always comparing themselves with themselves, or they were trying to uplift themselves because of the gifts and the abilities that they had. And so the apostle Paul has to just call them out on the rug and say, whoa, stop. Stop it. One of your problems is that you're 
earnestly, you're, com you're, you're coveting some great gifts. You're coveting what we would call sign gifts, the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of, uh, of teaching, the gift to where you're at the forefront. But he says, well, I want to show you a more excellent way. I want to show you a way that's far better than even the gifts that you're wanting to possess. And that's where we catch up here in chapter number 12 in verse number 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show unto you a more excellent way. The more excellent way that the apostle is talking about the greater gift is the key that unlocks the power of all the other spiritual gifts. And Paul wanted the Corinthian believers to know that this gift that is higher than the other gifts is the gift that you and I are going to highlight tonight, which takes all of chapter number 13. It's the gift or the idea that we've really been preaching about this entire year up to this point, and especially over these last several Sundays, and we'll continue on. But is that it is this idea or this gift, this more excellent way of love, love. I want to jump right on into it tonight, and I want you to see that Paul was telling the Corinthian church that love is this greater gift. Love is this more coveted gift. Love is this more excellent way because love is essential. I want you to see your Bible there. It says in verse number one, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He says, first of all, right here, jumping right into it, he says, man, I could, I could have eloquent speech as my gift. I could be the guy that just has great oratory skill and has just the right words that I can paint pictures that you would not believe with the words that I can use or the phrases that I can pull together. He said, I could have even an angelic sound to my voice tonight. But he says, if I'm doing that without love in my heart for you, if I'm not doing that with love in my heart towards others, if I'm just speaking just to be heard, he says, then I'm nothing more than a tinkling cymbal. I'm just the noise. How many of you have ever gone to a concert and uh, uh, during the concert, Brother Micah, they pull out the cymbals and they said, tonight we're going to have a solo by our cymbal player, Leo. No, if you've ever heard a cymbal solo, it's not much there either. No, a cymbal solo would be just a lot of noise. It'd just be a lot of clanging. You ever drop silverware? It's a lot of noise. It doesn't make very beautiful music, does it? You know what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse number one? He says, I could have the most eloquent speech. I could speak like an angel. But if I'm doing it without this greater gift, if I'm doing it without the greater motivation, if I'm doing it without the gift of love that is far more essential than the gift of prophecy or the gift of eloquency or the gift of oratory skill, then I am doing it with no effect. I'm just making a noise. But I want you to see, he goes even farther. He says, it's not just my eloquence in speech that needs to have love. Well, oh, I got to give this to you. Hold on, I got to give this to you. Great oratory can move a person's emotions. A great address can move a person's mind. A great uh, speech can move a person's will, but only great love can move a person's heart. And it's not just about your speech. It's not just about your voice. It's about using it with a heart of love. But I also want to see here that he says, but more importantly or more essential than my eloquence in speech is my even more important than my extraordinary skill. Look at verse number two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. 
Hey, look here for just a second, okay? I, I, I feel like we gotta get a running start here. You and I can have various gifts, and these, there's some pretty important gifts that Paul was mentioning here in verse number two. He says, but if you don't do all of that without love, you're just showing off your skill set. I might be a great singer, but if I'm not singing for the praise of Jesus with a heart of love, then I'm nothing. Again, I'm just making a noise. I might be able to play the piano beautifully, Miss Rebecca, but if I'm not doing it with a heart of love, then I'm not doing it with the right motivation. Brother Leo, I might have great intellect and I might have great wisdom and understanding, but if I'm not using that for the glory of God, I'm just nothing because my motivation is wrong. He's saying, hey, you might have extraordinary skill. You might have extraordinary uh, talents that you can use for the Lord. But my friend, you might be able to teach in, a, in, the, in the Sunday school classes. You might teach in the junior churches. You might have eloquence in speech. You might have great intellect and knowledge. You might be able to be one of the best singers our church has ever seen or heard. You might have America's Got Talent and it's just hidden behind some wall somewhere. And you just need to let that out. My friend, if you have all the talent in the world, but you don't have it to be used of in love, you're nothing. You're nothing. Verse number two, I could remove mountains with my faith, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. Some of you have great mountains of, you have faith, mountain removing faith that even Jesus talked about, but you're not tempering it with love. And so you're nothing. He's saying, hey, look, it's more important than having all this skill, more important than having the eloquence of your speech is having love. But he gives us a third one. Look at verse number three. Even more essential than all of that speech and skill, he says even more important than all that is even your extravagant service to the Lord. Look at verse number three. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Look up here. You could sacrifice everything that you have for the greater good of the cause of the gospel. A missionary comes through and it tugs at your heartstrings and you go, man, I need to sell that boat and give that money to the Lord. Man, I need to sell that house and I need to give that to the Lord. Man, I could do so much more with my time for the Lord. And so I'm gonna sacrifice even my body for the cause of Christ. But my friend, if you're doing it without love, you're nothing. The end of verse number three, it profiteth me nothing. Again, some of you have great abilities in those skills and some of you, man, you are fully involved and you are totally committed to the service of God. My friend, even pastors are fully committed to the service of God and they will give themselves to the work of the ministry. But if they're not doing it, pastor, in love, it profits no one. It is nothing. So can we just go back to what Paul was saying in these few short verses? He's saying, hey, let me show you a more excellent way. You can have the speech. You can have the skills. You can have the service. But if you're doing it without the essential element of love, you're missing the mark. You're missing it. If you're not consumed with love. But he goes on. I love the way the Apostle Paul writes. Pastor and I were talking about this even this morning and just kind of just borrowing brains. That's how I've got to. I'm not very intellectual, so I got to borrow people's brains. So anything I say tonight's pastor's fault. I borrowed his brain. <laughs> Kidding. I love the way Paul writes because he, 
he gives us a picture, if you will. He kind of throws out there for us, hey, here's a more excellent way, this idea of Love is the supreme gift. Love is the, the gift that is above all other sign gifts, all other gifts of help and of ministry. He says, love is it. But he goes on and he says, but I want to show you what love looks like. I want to show you what I'm talking about. And that's what verse number four is. Let me give you here the outline for those of you that are following along. He simply gives us love's example or love is exemplary. I want you to see here this quickly in verse number four, he begins to describe what love looks like. He begins to, to paint the picture, if you will, of the example that love has set for us. As if love were a great and brilliant diamond, Paul holds it up to the light and allows us as he spins it in his hand to see the many facets and sides and the beautiful colors that that diamond of love gives off. I want you to see these quickly and I'm going to run through them. And so if you don't have the time to write them down, buy the record and I'm sure that you'll be able to get them all in just a minute. But I want you to see verse number four. He begins to give us the example as he describes love to us. In verse number four, he says, love suffereth long. This word means patient endurance under provocation. The literal meaning of the word is long temper. This characteristic of love reveals the truth that love does not retaliate. This kind of love endures all attacks. And as I'm reading some of these, I want you to be thinking about the love that you have towards one another. And I want you to think about the love that you should be showing one towards another, because that is in essence what Paul is trying to describe to the believers that were battling and were infighting one with another. And he says, hey, love, charity suffers long. It's, it's patient and it has a long tempered. But then he says, secondly, it is kind. This refers to an act of goodness that goes forth on behalf of others. Genuine love is never hateful or mean, but it respects others. It reaches out to them. Love is kind to people in spite of their often wrongful treatment, even to you and to me. He says, love is kind. He says, love envieth not. True love is not jealous over abilities or successes or possessions of others. Instead of being jealous when others prosper or excel, love is pleased when they do well. Love is pleased when God blesses them. Hey, can I just stop right here for just a second and clear just a small little patch? Okay, I guess not. Nobody wanted to respond. Jealousy is one of the vilest sins that you and I harbor in our hearts and we give a pass to. Godly love is never jealous, but rather it rejoices when others succeed. I don't think I need to give us any examples or illustrations tonight, but how do you feel when a Christian brother or sister is blessed and you're not? Is there that jealousy, that discontentment in your heart, that even envy that we're talking about? I just want to encourage you, that's not a characteristic of love. And it's not the sake of the message tonight for our purposes, but love is one of the fruits of the Spirit or is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And you and I can't walk in the spirit if we're not walking in love. He then goes on to say that it not only envieth it not, but it vaunteth not itself. This literally means, or the phrase is, it's not inflated or unapproachable. It does not make a parade. All right, some of you missed that. I might have to go back and say it. Vaunteth not itself. Love does not brag. 
It does not draw attention to itself or to what it is doing. Love does not have to be the center of attention. I'm about ready to jump up on one of these chairs because how many of us, we want people to notice what we're doing? My wife was gone to Colorado uh, during her birthday. And so uh, she got back and, you know, I got her a little gift. And uh, if you're like me, you're proud of the things that you do because uh, I'm a guy and I actually remembered it was her birthday, Brother Micah. And so I, uh, I put that gift on the table and I made sure to get the neon signs blinking towards that gift. And I put the signs outside that directed her to that gift. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Some of you are looking at me like, really? No, 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 no. But isn't that our human nature? We want people to see. Hey, I love you. Did you notice that I, I did that for you? Uh, love doesn't have to brag. Love doesn't have to be inflated. Love doesn't have to be unapproachable. Why? Because what love does is whether the other person recognizes it or not. Or not. You know, again, sometimes we in Christian service, we don't serve the Lord because nobody's gonna notice me vacuum in the floor, unless I do it when everybody's here. Then I can get that recognition. No, 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 no. Paul's saying to the Corinthian believers, remember, they're fighting about who's got the better gifts. They're fighting about who's the one up there being seen, who's the one that has got the more prominent position in the church. And Paul reminds them, Brother Jim, he says, no. He says, that's not what love would do. Love does not parade itself around so that it can boast or brag about what it has done. He says, no, love is going to be in the shadows. Love is going to be behind the scenes. Love is going to be what the motivation is, but it doesn't have to be in the spotlight. Love vaunteth not itself. He then goes on to say it is not puffed up. In other words, it's not arrogant. It's not proud. It realizes that God has given it everything that it has and God has made it everything that it is. No matter how great your talent or how spectacular your gifts, everything that you are and everything that you have is a result of the divine grace of God. None of you can take your next breath without the grace of God. And so many, so many times we lift ourselves up in pride because we think that it's because of our hands. Thus, love is humble because it remembers that when it was, where it was before grace found it. It realizes where it would be had grace not intervened. But then he also goes on to say it does not behave itself unseemly. We all right tonight? We're still good? He says it does not behave itself unseemly. Verse number five, love is never rude. But it always treats others with compassion, with consideration, and with respect. Love controls the emotions. It's not friendly one day and rude the next. It does not act out of character. And all God's people said amen. Because we know people that are rude one day and nice the next, don't we? They're not being controlled by love. He goes on to say, it seeketh not her own. True love is never selfish and self-centered, but is actively interested in what will profit others. 
It never looks at itself first, but it always considers others first. Philippians chapter 2 is a great example of this. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then it goes on to say, and let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And yet too many of us as Christians, he made himself of no reputation, but we're trying to build ours. We want people to notice. We want people to see. We want to brag about it. And we want people to write it down and make sure that it gets posted on the internet. No, 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 friend. Love does not seek her own. It's also not easily provoked. True love keeps no record of evils done, but it willingly endures all slights and, injury, and injuries. This characteristic of love reminds us that love does not demand its own rights. It is will, it's willing to yield to the will of another. And true love only responds in anger to that which angers God. It's not easily provoked. It doesn't have, it doesn't have the chip on its shoulder. You're not having to walk through the house on eggshells. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? But love is not that way. How many times, again, do we as Christians enter into the church house and we feel like that guy's got a chip on his shoulder? Or, come on, knock it off. Come on, bring it, right? We as Christians do that. And there again, it's evidence that we're not walking in the spirit because we're not walking in love. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinketh no evil. Love literally takes no worthless inventory. I love how that was said. It takes no worthless inventory. There's two thoughts here, Brother Fountain, that could be implied. And I just give these to you quickly. First, it could be implying the genuine love does not attribute evil motives to people. We don't read into the actions of a brother or a sister in Christ who parked in our spot or sat in our seat. We're not looking to... Uh, sign blame or think evil one towards another. Love always thinks the best of others. Maybe they're just going through a hard time and that's why they didn't shake my hand. You know, maybe this morning they didn't shake my hand or maybe they were sitting in my seat because we had guests and that's a good thing. But so many times love jumps the gun and says, oh, I bet it's because they hate me. So I'm going to get even. No, 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 no. We don't think evil. That's not what love does. But it could also be implying, secondly, that genuine love does not dwell on what others may have done. You know, seven years ago, pastor did this to me. And so I'm going to hold that over him. Come on, those of you that are married, we can easily do this, can't we? We start keeping that list. And that's not what love does. If this attitude of not thinking evil one towards another were practiced in our church or really, can I just say in churches, it would solve nearly all of the church problems. Someone once said, it's natural to love those that love us, but it's supernatural to love those that hate us. In our lesson series, we've been going through on our Life Stage Adult Bible classes, and I wanna encourage you, if you're not a part of that, get involved. Uh, it's been very good and very helpful. But one of the illustrations that Dr. John Getz shares in one of his, uh, one of the lessons that we had was simply that uh, there was a gentleman, a ministry, a pastor 
that just they're, they're, they just didn't get along. It wasn't that they had done wrong to each other. It was just that there was a difference between their, uh, you know, their likes and their dislikes. And so there was just something that just didn't connect. We've all been there. We're not going to uh, be friends with every single person that we meet, right? There's just differences in opinions and likes and dislikes. And he was challenged one night with this pastor friend that uh, another pastor was preaching and said, hey, think of somebody in your mind right now that you have some disagreement with, somebody that you don't quite connect with. And he says, I want you for the next 40 days, I want you to just start praying for them. And so Dr. Getchy immediately thought of this pastor that he had not seen in years. And in fact, almost really kind of avoided the way he described it in his illustration. And he said, there was nothing necessarily wrong between us. There wasn't a sinful problem or situation. We just, we didn't get along. And so Brother Getch was challenged that night by this other pastor to begin praying for this other individual, this other pastor that they didn't get along with for the next 40 days. Well, Dr. Getch tells a story that he continued praying and it passed the 40 days. And a year later, he ran into this ministry friend, this pastor friend at another conference, and he went right up to him and he shook his hand and he hugged on his neck. And before he even realized it, he was connecting with this friend or this pastor whom at one point in time, they weren't connecting. And it was like, he didn't even realize it happened, but God supernaturally allowed that connection to happen. Why? Because Dr. Getsch began praying for him. He stopped thinking evil towards him. I'm not saying Dr. Gitch thought evil towards him, but for the sake of our purpose tonight, how different would your relationships in church be if you would stop thinking evil of the person that's sitting across the aisle from you? How different would our church be, the friendliness of our church, if we would stop thinking evil one towards another? How different would your, your relationship at home be? How different would that relationship with your boss even be as a Christian? when you stop implying or assigning motives to people that aren't there. Love doesn't think evil, but also love rejoiceth not in iniquity. I'll be quick with these last two. Love does not rejoice in sin, whether it's its own sin or the sin of others. Love hates sin, bottom line. And love does not rejoice or gossip when another falls to sin. Too many times, you, you've heard this before, that we shoot our wounded. We see somebody that has fallen into sin, and so we start pointing fingers, and we start casting blame. We start, I guess we could go back to the last point, thinking evil. And so we start uh, devouring the one that needs us to encourage and to help them up. But instead, we, we need to realize that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rather love rejoices in the truth. While love hates all forms of evil, it loves the truth. It rejoices when the truth is proclaimed and when the truth wins. Love is glad for the truth, even when the truth hurts. It's, it, it's thankful for it because it rejoices in it. Paul gives us a, a quick description of what love looks like in these various 11 things. But I want you to see real quickly, he also demonstrates love with these next four things. If you continue in verse number seven, he goes and he says, hey, love's example can be seen in this demonstration by love. He says, it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all, all things. Quickly, if you look here, love beareth all things. Love patiently endures and it overlooks the faults of others. The word beareth literally means to 
cover. Instead of parading the failures and faults of others before the entire world, love covers them over and continues loving in spite of those failures and in spite of those shortcomings. It bears all things. Secondly, it believeth all things. Love places the best possible interpretation on everything that happens. It does not always seek the negative, but it believes that good will triumph in any situation, basically, because love trusts and love believes. And so we see here that it believeth all things. Love hopeth all things. Love always expects the best outcome possible. Love refuses to accept failure as being final. Love is ever optimistic. Love is confident expectation that all things will work together for good. It hopeth all things. It endureth all things. This is a military term. I love this one. And pastor, I was, wow. When he assigned this passage to me and the thought here and really just the truths that jump out on the page, love endures all things. It's a military term that means that love does not give up the fort. It does not retreat. It stands its ground and it continues in spite of everything that can be thrown against it. And it continues in spite of the persecution and the ill treatment. Look up here. If somebody's sleeping next to you, wake them up because now we're getting to the heart of the message. Paul describes love to us. Paul then demonstrates what love does. It bears and it believes and it hopes and it endures. My friends, we look at one another tonight and we ask ourselves, how am I doing in comparison to this list of, am I being consumed with my love? But even greater than that is not the love that we have one towards another that we've already heard about from Brother Micah and from Brother Robert and others. But my friend, this is a great reminder of my Savior's love for me and for you. The Bible says, but God commendeth, he demonstrated, he showed, he proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, I would not know love had it not been for the supreme creator of the world who first showed his love to me. I would not know how to love my wife had it not been because he first loved me. I would not know how to love God had he not shown me what true love is when he sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary for my sins. My friends, he believeth all things in me and he bears all of my sins and he hopes for greater things for me because he knows me and he created me and he is going to endure as long as it takes because he loves Daniel Blim and he sees the greatest potential in him even when I don't see it in myself. You talk about a demonstration of love and it was demonstrated on that cross of Calvary that pastor so adequately preached about this morning. And my friend, come on, you've got to get excited about the love that has been demonstrated, the love that has been a supreme example to you and to me. Why would we want to play a piano? Why would we want to sing a special? Why would we want to preach a message? Why would we want to serve in a nursery or drive a bus? Why would we want to create beautiful slides? Why, why, why would we want to do any of the service of God if we don't have a heart motivated by the love that God has for us. My friends, we're missing it if we're not motivated by God's love for you and for me. That's the introduction. Because I want you to see the heart of the message tonight and we're done, this will be quick. But if you remember the title, the title was that love, consuming love, is the key to anything lasting. That mystery castle still stands because of a father's love, a father's motivation for his child, just as you and I can see the lasting effects of our father's love for his children. 
But I want you to see, lastly, not only is love essential, not only is love exemplary or an example to us, but I want you to see, lastly, love is enduring. Love is enduring. Paul instructs the Corinthian believers that love is essential. It's above all else. And he adequately displays and describes the example that love has set. But now we see that the key to anything lasting is a consuming love. Why? Because love endures. In fact, our passage says it this way. Verse number eight, love never fails. Love never fails. Fails. That word fail has a word picture of a leaf falling from a tree. And it has the idea of a leaf fading away and dying. But my friends, can I remind you tonight that the agape love that we are talking about, that unconditional sacrificial love that God loved us with, that we are to love one another with, not only as believers, but also the unbelievers, the love that we are to be consumed with towards our Lord is not to fade away and it is not to decay. And when everything else that is held in such high esteem is gone, love will remain when knowledge and spiritual gifts no longer matter. Love will still exist. It is a great constant that is without fail throughout of all of eternity. And the idea is simply this. When other things have been faded from view, there will still be love. Seasons of life may come and go, but love will not, will never fail. You can mark it down. It never fails. But I see lastly, it's always faithful. Look down at verse number 13. And now abideth, and now abideth. What is it? Faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The Bible says that these things abide, faith, hope, and love, and yet faith and hope are encompassed in love. Stay with me for these last few minutes. I promise we're coming down to the close. Therefore, the greatest of all the things a believer can possess is not amazing skill sets to serve the Lord with. It's not even faith that removes mountains. Paul already said that. It's not even the hope that hopes for the good in all situations or has that confident expectation towards one another. No, the thing that is the greatest above all, the more excellent way that Paul speaks about is that of love. Why? Because love is the only virtue that will last into eternity. What makes love so great? Well, <clears throat> love is the defining characteristic of who God is. 1 John 4 eight tells us that, and I'll quote that in just a minute, but when the Bible wanted to describe God in one sentence, it simply said, you say it with me, God is, oh, that was weak. Let's try that again. Wake up. When the Bible wanted to describe who God is, it said, God is love. God is love. It did not say God is faith. It did not say that God is hope. It did not say that uh, God is some kind of acts of service or God is in the prophesying, though God can do all that without you or me. No, it said God is love because God doesn't have to have faith. Who would God put his faith in? God does not have to have hope. For why would the one who created and controls everything ever possible have something to hope for? Yet God is love. 
God is love. So for just a moment, I want you to close up your Bibles. We're done. Let me give you some concluding thoughts. If you take away all the things that you value in life today and you lay those all aside and you forget about the talents, the gifts, the abilities, the intellect or the potential, your achievements, whatever you want to put out there and anything else and forget all those things for just a minute. Let me ask you this question. Are you consumed by love? Are you consumed by love? If I ask the question tonight, how many of us want to show something for our lives that would outlive us? Probably all of our hands would go up and say, man, if I could give myself to a worthy cause that would outlive me, I'm for it, sign me up. Well, my friends, you can. You can. But it starts with the motivation of love. So I ask these questions tonight. Do you love God more than anything else in this world? Do you have that consuming love for your heavenly father? Well, how about this one? Do you love God? Do you love others like God loves them? I hope this chapter left you as it did me with the feeling that I'm not where I need to be in regards to my being consumed in my love for God and for one another. And so I wonder if there's maybe in your heart, like there is in my heart, room for improvement. I had you close your Bibles. I probably shouldn't have done so, but I want you to listen to this last part. Because if you, like I, know that there's still room for improvement regarding your love for God and your love for others. Remember I was talking about those chapter breaks and how that sometimes their thought is still continuing and you need to read to the next chapter or you need to read to the next line. I should have had you keep your Bibles open, but in chapter 14, the very first words says simply this, follow after charity. If you still have some room for improvement in your love, your consuming love, and you want it to last into eternity, which it will, then you need to follow after love. That word follow is not passively, it's not like playing follow the leader. No, that's, it's more aggressive than that. It has the connotation of pursuing. Tonight, I ask you this question. Are you pursuing a consuming love? Are you pursuing because it's the most essential? Love is the greatest above all. Even speech and skill and service, love is greater than it all because it's the motivation and it is who God is and it's gonna last through eternity. The love that you have for God the love that you have for one another, and so pursue it. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.